You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their You got Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, inconsistent basketball time, up the palace time. What do I mean by that? You'll find out in just a second time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here late on a Monday afternoon slash early Monday evening. Always seem to record this right at that time where it's hard to say whether it's afternoon or evening. Probably evening by the time you get this, early evening. So we'll go ahead and say good evening to you wherever you are, whatever day it is. We appreciate you spending part of it with us on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Not just me on this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. In the second segment, we're going to go across town to uh, his the clown car full of children, home daycare center, to talk with Ryan Callahan about a little Tennessee football and recruiting. In the first segment, though, uh, we're going to talk a little Tennessee basketball, which is often a a much um, much happier subject uh, than it's been the past few weeks. But um, it uh, it is what it is. Grant Ramey, what's up, man? It is what it is. It is very average right now. And it is. It is. It could be what it was. But right now, it is what it is. And if you don't know what this is, you're about to find out. This is our welcome present today for uh, for Grant Ramey. We need more of this. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's getting ready to happen. Here it goes. That was the Crystal Palace crowd. I know that noise well. That was, uh, and, and that's uh, an English Premier League game that just happened. Uh, and and the reason I'm talking about this is because Grant is like never excited about anything ever, right? Like I wasn't there when Grant's two children were born. I'm guessing he was happy on those days. I don't know. Maybe yeah, the, maybe the second it's overrated. Maybe the second one he was like, I'm not as happy as I was the first time because I know what this what this is going to be. But uh, in general, uh, seeing Grant get excited. Uh, is is it's like uh, the Hale Bob Comet, you know? Just you have to wait like every like seventy something years and you see it. But uh, today, Crystal Palace in the Premier League playing its arch rival, Brighton and Hove Albion, uh, went down there to Brighton on the south coast, got absolutely dominated for like eighty nine minutes of the game, only touched the ball twice in the box, scored two goals and won two to one. Grant, how you feeling? That was good. That was good, and like the Hellbop comment, it seems like uh, a, a good per, uh, a good performance. Not a good performance, just a good result for Crystal Palace is is once every fourteen years. There you go. They got a good one, so we got that out of the way. And uh, they picked I, a good time. I just you know this happened just like ten minutes before we recorded this, so I had to mention it because I was like, wow, this is we're actually going to see if this were a video podcast, uh, which we'll have probably eventually at some point, but we don't have right now. Uh, you would see Grant Ramey actually glowing right now. There was actually. It's like some color, and he, he might it might just be because he was running. I think it's because of Crystal Palace. Uh, Grant, when you look at Tennessee, you know last week was kind of like the several weeks before that, right? You had one win, one nice win, uh, and one loss, and 
it's hard to understand what exactly is going on with this Tennessee team because it, it, it's, you know, we keep saying more of the same, but, um, you know, I don't know how else to put it. You know, Tennessee, uh, despite not having Josiah Jordan-James, went out there and, and played pretty well, reasonably well, uh, made some mistakes, but also beat South Carolina by, by 20 points, uh, and then um, goes and hosts Kentucky, and a Kentucky team that they had beaten by double digits in Rupp Arena earlier this year, still no James, but no excuses. Kentucky just beat the snot out of them. Uh, it ended up being 70-55. to 55. It was really more like a 20-point game than a 15-point game, but um, anything – to add about that before we talk, you know, about some specifics in that game, Grant, just I'd like to say surprised, but not really. No, I mean, since that 10 and one start, you know, that was, that was 10 games ago. They're five and five since then. So they're a very average basketball team right now. Um, and, and even in the wins like South Carolina and Georgia, the last couple of times they've won, they, they've built 20 something point leads and they've let them, They've watched in the second half as turnovers have brought it down to a seven-point lead or a six-point lead, and they've held on to win those games. But those are teams you should beat. Those are games you should win, and you should win them in a cleaner version than what you did. What they did Saturday, the way they – I don't – I mean, they didn't get dominated, but there was just really – it was just kind of a lifeless performance. That's a, that's a talented Kentucky team, and at some point they were going to play well. I think they've won three in a row now. Uh, obviously they have 13 losses this, this season kind of is a mess for them, but, but they have talent there to perform, but this Tennessee team, it just looks like it's lost right now. Um, John Fulkerson's still on the milk cart and Josiah's still out with the wrist. Uh, Eve Pond's knee is still an issue. It looks like it's at least maybe a mental issue if maybe more, not as much of a physical issue. Um, Jaden Springer has been dealing with stuff the last few days, whatever illness that is there. It just looks like they don't know roles. They don't know how they should attack, how they, when they need to attack, the way they need to. I mean, it just seems like everything is kind of lost for them right now. I think it starts in the post and it goes inside out. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. I, I spent probably about fifteen twenty minutes maybe this morning speaking with with Ron Slay, former Tennessee All American, and you know, he he just kind of kept asking me like, "What's what the hell's going on?" Like, what the hell's going on? I'm like, Ron, I'm asking you what the hell's going on, man. I don't know. Uh, you know, and he kept asking, you know, is something wrong with Fulkerson that we don't know about? And I said, I don't know. I, I'd like to know. Um, you know, I know Eve Pons is, is battling that knee, and it's causing some issues for him. I know uh, Josiah Jordan-James is is not a guy that, that you really want to play without because he does so many important things. But really, to me, it, it, it gets back to those two seniors. I, I just I, You don't want to put everything on them because that's just two guys, and it's you know five guys play at a time. you got a 10-man whatever rotation. Uh, there's a lot of pieces involved there, but, but when Tennessee seniors do not perform and Josiah Jordan-James is not available, that puts like every single thing on the freshman. And, you know, Jaden Springer didn't have a great game. He's had a couple of games where he struggled, and both of those games Tennessee has lost. Ole Miss, uh, he struggled, and, and Tennessee lost. And Kentucky, he struggled, Tennessee lost. Uh, Keon Johnson didn't play great, but he was active, you know, 4-14 shooting, uh, tried to do some things. Um, but you, you just, when you put everything on those two freshmen, neither one of whom's quite what I would call a pure point guard, you just put a lot on their shoulders and – it's just hard to play basketball when you when you won't go inside and score. Because the one thing we can say about Kentucky, right, the one thing we can say, they block shots at a high level, one of the best shot-blocking teams in college basketball. 
And it seemed pretty clear early on. Like, Jaden Springer went in there and got one swatted. Uh, Fulkerson got in there a couple times and, and was kind of iffy, didn't want to fight him. And Tennessee just didn't really want to attack from that point forward. And this is the same Kentucky team that they went to the rim at will against just a couple of weeks ago. And I can't figure this out. I mean, one team adjusted, Kentucky adjusted. I mean, you have two freshman guards score 50 on you at your place and you blow a 10-point lead in the second half and you end up losing by 11. You're going to make those changes. I think Tennessee, with those freshman guards, isn't, for whatever reason, isn't able to adjust as quickly. I mean, they've had the last couple of games, Rick Barnes has talked about those those drives where they get in the lane and spin and they think they have time to do that. You don't have time to do that. Uh, you get the ball, it ends up in a turnover. And I agree that all of this isn't on John Fulkerson and all of it's not on Eve Pond, but every bit of fixing it is going to come down to those two guys because the, the puzzle pieces are there. They got to have somebody that puts together the puzzle and it's got to be a, a, a senior leader like John Fulkerson who takes over when you need him to take over. I mean, it feels like we've talked about this like Groundhog Day the last three weeks. Somebody's got to have to take over at some point, and right now they're not getting that. They've had it from Jaden Springer at times. They've had it from Keon Johnson at times. They're not getting it consistently from anybody. Uh, and until they do, this team just kind of is what it is. Like we talked about, it's an average basketball team uh, that really doesn't have an identity right now, that, that struggles with its role-playing ability. Um, it just It's a five-and-five five basketball team right now. And I, I can't figure out – and, again, I, I don't want to belabor the point here, but I think I, I think it's by far the most important thing going on with this Tennessee team right now. I mean, obviously, Josiah and Jordan James, that injury is a big deal. They'd like to get him back as soon as possible. They hope to get him back this week, but, you know, there's no guarantee. He's just – it's a shooting wrist, right, and it's sprained and it doesn't feel good. So he, he hadn't felt like he could go. Uh, I know he's a tough kid. He'll play when he can. He played last year against Kansas in several games when his hip was just torturing him. So if he can play, he will. Um, but I, we got to go back to Fulkerson here because there were a couple moments in that game. And I asked Barnes about it Monday. You know, he got a couple, at least two or three times I can remember, where he got the ball in the post and he's sitting there one on one and he can score. We've seen him do this for, you know, a lot of games where he can go one on one, he can make a move, go left, go right, go over, go underneath, up and under, whatever you want to do. He's got different moves and he can go score. But he kept kicking the ball out. And it seemed like the ball in those possessions was going in rhythm to get him the ball, to get him a shot, and he refused to take it. And I just – I got to tell you, Tennessee's not going to be a good basketball team when, when he does that because every time he does that, you're basically taking a uh, – you know, take off your white jersey, wave it as a white flag, and say, we're done. We're done. We're not going to do anything about this. And, and that, to me, I don't understand why – I mean, physically, he's been banged up a little bit. Maybe that's bothering him. But it's got to just be something between the ears mostly, right? Because we know Fulkerson's a tough guy. I just can't make heads or tails from this because this 12 months ago, no one could stop this guy from scoring. And really good players could not stop this guy from scoring. And it's just 12 months later, and it's like he looks like he did three years ago. I mean, my, what, what my head has been going back to – uh, the last couple of days. Remember at Mississippi State last year, I think Josiah was out with his hip issue. And Fulkerson, I don't know if he was sick or he just wasn't playing well at the time. But Uros Plavs had started and played like 30 minutes and he scored 16 points. And I think he had like three rebounds. That's the only time we've really ever heard of him yeah. production-wise. I mean, it's so bad that Fulkerson's playing so poorly right now and Eve Ponds is so kind of hit or miss that you don't know what you're going to get from him. And they're still not playing Plasic. They're still not playing EJ Anasicki. 
what's it say about those guys that they still don't even really get a shot? Olivier Kimmel's in some flashes this year that that maybe he's progressing and yeah, can be a good he, player down he, the road. He, he was bad against Kentucky. He was just not very good. Right. But the, I mean, the, my point is it's getting to the point where I'm like, just throw plastics out there and see if something change. If you have to force the issue the way they forced the issue against Mississippi State uh, in Starkville last year, even though they didn't really play that well that game, they lost. But Plastic scored. I mean, if he could score, he would help this team. But um, Fulkerson, it feels like every shot he takes, he's fading away from the basket. He doesn't really attack the rim when he does try to go up with a shot. Um, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know what's missing there. I don't think Rick Barnes can explain it any better than we can. Something's going on there because he's just not himself, and it's, it's become painfully obvious. And, and when he's not himself, the Tennessee team is going to struggle. Yeah, it's almost like um, you know, in golf, like when a putter gets the yips or, or something. Like, like he, he right. just, like he just doesn't. It, it's like he's lost confidence in himself or, or something. You know, it, it, it's it's weird because you know Tennessee did not really want to change the way it plays, but in the past few weeks, Tennessee has had to consciously go out there and say, okay. Now we're going to not be as inside out. We're going to have more fresh. These freshmen are going to take the ball to the basket more because they had to. There was no other choice. They had to do something to, to try to generate more offense. And I just, you know, with Pons, I get it because his knee, I mean, that thing's been bothering him. He's got a little bit of a sore ankle too. I, I understand that. With Fulkerson, I wrote on Saturday, and I, and I believe this, and it sounds awful to say, but I hope there is something physically wrong with him that we don't know about because Tennessee doesn't want to talk about it because that would explain more of what's going on. But I don't think that's the case because I think Barnes would be more careful in what he said if that was the case. You know, I don't think Barnes would be as, you know, kind of attack-minded when he talks about him. Um, But, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's basically just said, guys, I don't know what it is. And for me, you know, maybe he'll come back next season. I don't know why he wouldn't. Um, But you look at it and you go – Man, this is like the twilight of your career. Like this is your moment. You know, why why have you been playing basketball your whole life, you know, to to now go do this now? It just on a fundamental level makes absolutely no sense at all. It's it just I, I'm I'm trying to wrap my brain around it and you watch these games and you go, dude, what are you doing? Right. I mean, this is your team. This is your chance to um, kind of write your name on this program, this team. Obviously, he did a ton last year, but but the way that year is remembered is a, a struggling basketball team that wasn't going to make a tournament anyway, uh, and everything obviously in the postseason gets canceled, and it's probably remembered for that more than anything. This year, this is his chance that, you know, they were 10-1. and one. Um, Florida beat them. Obviously, you're, you're not going to win that game. Alabama beat them pretty good. You're not going to win that game. Ole Miss game, you should have won. Um, you know, they're they're – games you can circle and say if Tennessee could have done this and this and this, they would have been a much better spot. If they had a couple more wins to their credit, if they were able to play better basketball a little bit the last six weeks, you're still talking about a number three seed uh, and something like that in the NCAA tournament. I mean, if, if he can put his name on the program and lead the, this team and this talent to that kind of seeding in the NCAA tournament, that's huge. But right now you're struggling to think, can this team hold on to a five seed right now? It was, what's, what's the March future look like for this program? I mean, they're going to Vanderbilt. Wednesday to, to play Dylan DeSue, a kid that's the SEC player of the week this week after going off against Bama uh, and Kentucky. I mean, that kid, kid could give them fits in the post. Vanderbilt's playing a lot better basketball than they were probably the first time Tennessee met them. I mean, and, and DeSue played well against Tennessee the first game, if I remember correctly. Right. He's, he's, you're, you're he's, talking he's about a good player. A, you're talking about a team that's ranked number six in the country a month ago to a team that's barely ranked today, number 25 in the AP poll. They dropped out of the coaches' poll. 
and a team that's going to Vanderbilt and you have questions, is, is this a questionable road game because of the way they've been playing and the way Vanderbilt's been playing? And the reason it's fallen so far is because John Fulkerson has fallen so far. They're, they're not going to go as he goes, but they have to have him going if they want to go somewhere. That makes sense. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, the, the disconcerting part is that, you know, we, we, we ask Rick questions, and, I mean, I think we ask him tough, fair questions, and, and he normally, unless he has reasons – to, to, to sort of obfuscate, he usually just kind of comes out and tells you what he thinks. And I don't know how many answers he feels like he has right now. Because if you go back and, and, and listen to, to these kind of full, you know, in Tennessee posts them too and we post them, you, you can kind of listen to these full press conferences and when we're dealing with him and, and, and we ask him questions and, and I just don't know how many answers he feels like he has right now. Because I think he's sort of at a loss with Fulkerson. Like, I don't know what's happening here. Like, with Pons, he gets it. With Josiah Jordan-James, obviously, he's injured. He gets it. With the freshmen, hey, they're freshmen. They're going to be up and down. So you you just you accept that. Not all of them are like Kevin Durant, you know. You just got to, you know, you got to go with what you got. Um, and sometimes with the freshmen, as good as they are, they're going to struggle. That's just what they do. But with Fulkerson, I feel like that's the one piece. And it gets back to, to some of the other big man development stuff in general. But th- that's... These are two separate things, right? Because, yes, on one hand, the, the development of the big men in this program um, is a concern a little bit right now. I think you have to consider whether they're not targeting the right guys, whether they're not developing them. I don't know what it is. They're just having some, some troubles there. But, but the second issue is just, you know, they did develop Fulkerson. They, you know, they made him a hell of a player. And, and now they can't figure out why he's, why he's gone wrong. And this isn't like Major League Baseball where you can send him down to AAA for a couple weeks and get him sorted out. You, you got a couple weeks left in this season, then you go to the postseason, and you got to be ready to go. Yeah, the first part is certainly, in my eyes, the biggest part. I think the, the state of the forwards right now, as we sit here today, is the biggest glaring issue of the Rick Barnes era of Tennessee basketball, which has obviously come with a lot of wins, a lot of success. Um, a lot of you know a lot of elite recruiting over the last few years and it's great to get Josiah James as a five-star it's great to get Keon Johnson it's great to get Jaden Springer it's great to have Kennedy Chandler signed right now as your next uh, your point guard of the future and it was an all-time move to go to Charlotte and find Grant Williams this undersized kid that nobody really had on their radar and turn him into a guy that could potentially have his number retired at Thompson Bowling Arena uh, when his playing career is over but outside of that what they've done in the post has, is, is what's holding them back right now because they don't have any other options. DJ Burns didn't do himself any favors in this program. Yeah, I put, Derek that, Walker, I, I put, I, I put that one on those guys. Derek Walker didn't put, do himself any favors in this program, but it's also on the coaching staff because they recruited those guys and signed those guys and brought them into the program, and, and those fits ultimately didn't work. They're talented basketball players. Um, DJ's had a, had a nice career at Winthrop since he left Tennessee. Derek Walker just got eligible at Nebraska a few weeks ago. Those guys, you know, wouldn't be setting the world on fire at Tennessee right now, but they could help you. And you've brought in Euros Plasic to, uh, two summers ago. He can't help you right now. He can't even get off the bench when you're struggling, like we talked about this badly in the post. EJ Anasicki, we've talked about on this podcast, nobody expected him to be Grant Williams 2.0, but he can't even help you. He can't get off the bench the last couple of games. Uh, he can't make a, a bunny to save his life. I don't know what's going on there, if it's mental or, or what's going on. But the, you don't have any other you know, resources down there, anybody else you can turn to. That goes to Rick and his coaching staff for not better handling that situation. If they did have a better post-depth, maybe they wouldn't be spinning their wheels as much as they are. 
But I, I also agree with you that Rick doesn't have any more explanation for Fulkerson than it feels like we have sitting here trying to explain what's going on. Yeah, and, and I think, it, it, to be fair, I, I think that uh, you, you could look at, um, you know, when Pons is, is healthy and when James is healthy, those guys can play kind of the four or five spots if you need to, and you can play kind of a speed-up murder ball kind of system, and you can win that way. There, there's no there's no problem with that. Like, th- those guys aren't going to do much against, like, a Garza or somebody like that. But most games, you know, you can you can get by with that. But um, when one of those guys is not healthy uh, and the other one is out there but also not healthy, you can't really cover it up, you know, because they it, it gets harder for them to, to play that role they need to play. And, and so – you know, but, but again, why are you having to move those guys down to the post? Well, because you've recruited really well in the backcourt, so credit there. You've done a really nice job there, um, but you got to figure out something with the front court. You know, maybe if they can get something figured out here, get Honey Hatfield in the program, maybe. I mean, obviously that guy would be a huge help, no question about it. Um, if they could sort of get him to, you know, reclassify and then sign with them, that, that would help. But, you know, that doesn't help you right now. Right now you got to figure out what you got and you got to go play. And Josiah being out, he's the best rebounder on the team. He was the best rebounder on the team the last three, four weeks before he got hurt. He was the best rebounder on the team in the four games he played after suffering the wrist injury against Kansas. I think he had Mm -hmm. like 48 points and 29 rebounds or something in those four games. I mean, he's consistently or he was consistently scoring nine or ten points and and grabbing around seven, eight, nine rebounds, whatever. He had a double-double. At Kentucky, he switched on Keon Brooks after Keon Brooks dominated them for the first 30 minutes of that game and really made a difference down the stretch. So Josiah, yeah, just because we're not talking about he is a huge piece. He's a huge glue guy who does a little bit of everything, points, rebounds, blocks, steals, versatile offensively, versatile defensively. So getting him back would go a long way toward fixing this thing. Um, but, but outside of that, it falls on Fulkerson and it falls on Pons. And until those guys can uh, start firing on all cylinders, I don't think this team's going to fire on such. I don't think it's the end of the world, and I don't think the sky is falling. I know it's been a frustrating few weeks for Tennessee basketball fans to watch the product on the floor and not know what you're going to get. But I mean, it is fixable if they can get certain guys playing to their potential. Yeah. I think we should end on this discussion too, Grant, because I, I think it's important for people to know this. And, and I know we're, we're preaching to the choir, right? Most people understand this, uh, but there are people who are, you know, maybe primarily, you know, football fans or primarily baseball fans or, you know, basketball, they just kind of pay attention here or there. I think in Tennessee that's not a huge segment of the population, um, but there are still people who are like that. And for those people, we need to remind them, guys, this is a tournament sport. You get Mm -hmm. yourself in position to play in the postseason, and then there you get judged on what you do when you get there. Because getting to the dance, um, it, it's not a simple thing, right? It's it, it's not like a given. You got to go out there and earn it. Once you earn yourself a spot to get in there, you know, then then you get judged on what you do from there. So I've seen this before. You know, you've seen teams just kind of back their way into the postseason and they're not playing very well. Um, you know, Conzo Martin had a team that that really was one bad luck, one bad call away from going to the Elite Eight, and that team uh, was really frustrating for parts of the season. Uh, but ultimately, when it needed to be good, it was good. And it had a couple of big wins, got some good matchups, and almost went to the Elite Eight, right? I mean, Bruce Pearl had some teams that played well in the postseason that kind of limped into the postseason a little bit. If you go out there and perform in the postseason, then none of this really – I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it kind of doesn't matter. Because if Josiah Jordan-James needs to keep sitting out, like if he has to sit out this whole week too, but you just got to get him healthy when you can – that that's all that matters. 
if you're Tennessee, you've punched your ticket, right? We don't know what seed you're going to be. Um, they could go on a tear here and get a better seed. They could kind of back in and go to like a six, something like that. We don't know. But if you, you just get into the thing and then figure it out, it's not the way you want to do it, but it's it's doable, right? I mean, this team you, this team does have pieces that are going to give anybody problems if they play well. You'd, you'd rather be a six seed with a healthy Josiah in March than a four seed with a not healthy Josiah, somebody that you kind of tried to force into the – into the back into the lineup in late February uh, during this stretch run. I, I mean, if you're if you're looking at it like a football season, if this was college football, Tennessee would have gone from a college football playoff uh, discussion kind of team to a team that played itself out, and now there's nothing left but a kind of a consolation bowl game that nobody really wanted because you had your eyes set on higher yep. goals. Yep. But this is like you said, it's a tournament sport. Your your ultimate, you know, the the last wild card you have in the deck is. You punch a ticket to the dance and you see what happens. And that that Conzo team that went from the first four to the Sweet uh, Sweet Sixteen is a team that, that comes to mind that has came to my mind over the last couple of days. And just in terms of frustrations and and you know what what it was like watching that team, and then everything just clicked. I mean, they were down what eleven points against Iowa in the second half mm-hmm. and came back and won that game. And they got a they got a Mercer upset of a Duke in Raleigh, and then they got a, a UMass six seed that nobody really believed in. So it, it matters what happens there and that kind of the how and why everything plays out. I mean, you always have that in your back pocket, regardless of how bad you're struggling in February, see what it looks like in March and see what happens because you're going to always have that, that, that kind of lifeline there. Yeah, and, and this team does have the pieces to still give people a hard time. Like if right. I'll put it this way, and I've said this, and I, I see no reason to to change from this this opinion right now. If I'm a really high seed right now, I don't want to see Tennessee – because I don't want to see the good Vols who, um, you know, would, would be seated higher, but you have to play them earlier because they've been inconsistent. You, you don't want to see that team. If you're a really low-seeded team, if you're a mid-major, a low-major, you kind of, you know, win your tournament and you, you get into the, the big dance, you're probably happy to see Tennessee because you say, you know what, if the good Vols show up, they're going to beat us by 30. If the bad Vols show up, we can win this game. Because you just right. don't know, and that's why it's hard for me to predict a long postseason run because this team's not playing consistently. But I say this again, if you're completely dismissing the possibility, you're out of your mind because all you got to do is get there, and if you get there and you do what you're supposed to do, um, you know, get a good bracket, get, a, get some momentum going, you know, get Fulkerson's mojo back, all of a sudden you're right there, right? I, I mean, I, it, this team shouldn't be afraid it, of anybody, and I don't, I don't think it will be. No, it's it's the same as if you're a high seed in NCAA tournament and Kentucky does the insane and wins four games in four days in Nashville and gets an automatic qualifier spot out of the SEC with 13 or 15 losses, however many they have at that point in the season. Nobody wanted to play Kentucky in March because of all the talent they had, and obviously something was clicking at that point to get them there. So um, it's it's like we said, I believe, last week on this podcast. Tennessee could lose by 10 in the first round, and it would be a supremely frustrating end to a frustrating season where everything could click. And, and could cruise to the Sweet 16 or make an Elite Eight run, and you would be thinking, where has this been the last two months? So I, I think it's still – nothing changed those two games last week. Uh, nothing about those games changed my mind to think this team could have a run in it or it could just easily squeak out of the tournament without making a noise. I think that's a fair point. Before we step out of here uh, and go to break, I do want to mention uh, that the Tennessee baseball team did get started uh, over the weekend and had a really, really good opening weekend. I, I watched probably – 
all but three or four innings of that series over the weekend. And uh, Tennessee went down to play a pretty good Georgia Southern team, a team that swept uh, top five Georgia last year, took all three games from the dogs last year, and a team that, that has some guys who are going to get drafted, a, a pretty pretty solid team. Tennessee went down there to Statesboro, um, where you can still, you know, you had a lot of people in the stands. Uh, you had a hostile environment, and they won all three games, and they had some big hits and big pitching moments to do it. Uh, won three close games and uh, had a couple of big home runs. Um, you know, Drew Gilbert had himself a huge Saturday. Uh, you, you had a big weekend from Jordan Beck, a guy who's also going to get drafted pretty high, not this year, but next year. Uh, and, and then you had uh, just a really huge moment by senior shortstop Liam Spence, the Australian, who hit a grand slam in the 12th inning uh, to help them get that sweep. So uh, that that I think we're going to have to pay attention to this team. Those guys were 15-2 and two last year. Uh, they're ranked 16th, I believe. They'll probably get a bump this week in some of the polls. Um, open up on Tuesday. Open up at home against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Uh, two games, but play, play Tuesday and Wednesday if the weather holds. So um, I think it's going to be a fun team to watch. That, that's going to be um, those guys. Tony Vitell is doing the thing. And if you're Danny White right now, um, you know you got to get football fixed, right? Nothing's more important than that. That's the uh, that's the train, or that's the uh, that's the engine that drives the economic train. Uh, and if you get football right, everything else will follow. But um, I'd make sure Tony Vitello is happy, too. Uh, if he wants a facility tweak or, you know, they, they need to eventually figure out something with that stadium because they got probably the second-worst stadium in the SEC, uh, I, I, I would I would do what you can to hold on to this guy because he's doing some really big things with that program. They, they had me sold on the Drew Gilbert home run where he basically poured his own statue in the batter's box and then flipped his bat and then talked junk to the Georgia Southern dugout uh, when he was rounding third in the ninth inning or whatever inning that was on Saturday. Uh, after seeing that, yeah, I was sold on this group. Yeah, and this guy, by the way, is about five foot eight. Um, but I he, love it. He can absolutely rake. He's a lefty. He can actually, he's a pitcher too. He's got a really good fastball. He, he's a, he's a, apparently they grow him up there in Minnesota. They're not tall, but, uh, but they can play. Uh, and, and he 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 hit a home run in the third inning in the Saturday game, and after that home run, he he sort of did like a pose and a little bat flip, and and he got booed the rest of the day, and the Georgia Southern fans and dugout and everybody were on him going crazy, uh, and then Georgia Southern takes the lead, so they're razzing him all day long. Tennessee comes back uh, in the bottom of the eighth with two outs, ties it on a two-run single uh, from third baseman Jake Rucker, and then coming up in the ninth inning, Drew Gilbert goes up there again, and hits an absolute missile, and he, as Grant said, poured his own statue and then flipped the bat like a like a Korean League bat flip. Uh, and basically, if you watch the replay, as he's rounding the bases, he runs his mouth to every single Georgia Southern player in the infield as he crosses by them. It's like that scene in Half-Baked when he's like, F-U, 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 and just hysterical. And then he turns around, he goes to – rounds third base, talks to the whole dugout, goes crazy, and uh, then crosses home plate and then goes back and turns around again. The bench is clear. Um, it, it was – the kids got some stones, man. Kids got some stones. That was uh, that was uh, fun to watch. And I know we got to step out of here, Grant, but uh, do you have any more thoughts on that before you walk out? 5'8 five, eight, five, eight from Minnesota. This kid clearly was a hockey player who fears nobody and, and, and gets in the batting cage and, and takes fastballs to the chest and says 364 more days till hockey tryouts. There you go. There you go. That's a good way to end it. Thanks, Ryan. Get on out of here. See ya. And, guys, thanks you for listening to the first segment. We're going to come back. Uh, we're going to have a second segment talking with Ryan Callahan, talking Tennessee football, talking Tennessee recruiting. There's a lot of interesting things to discuss there. But before we do that, going to take a quick break uh, as Grant so rudely exits the Zoom prematurely and makes the noise play. <sighs> Amateur hour. But – 
We're going to step away, pay some bills, listen to products, services, in-house ads, other fun things, and we will be right back here on the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to the GoVols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Now going to go uh, across town. We kicked, we, we summarily kicked Grant Ramey off the podcast. Good riddance. Now we're going to the, the clown car full of children, the home daycare center of one Ryan Callahan. Ryan, what's up, man? Not much, man. How's it going? Doing all right. Just uh, during the break there, spilled a little bit of uh, iced coffee on myself, um, which is better than spilling hot coffee on yourself. Neither one I would recommend as a good thing, but uh, that's okay. That's okay. Got to play through it. 63 effort, all that. That's what Butch Jones would say. Guys, before we get into this, uh, quick reminder, please go take a minute out of your day. Uh, go in there and rate and review this podcast. Please hit the subscribe button on this podcast, whether you're on iHeart or, or uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere in the world, you can cast a fine pod. You can find the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. And if you take just a minute, uh, really, I used to say a second, but let's be honest, it's more like a minute. Go in there and rate and review this podcast. There's nothing you can do out there that would help us more than that. That would be a big, big help to us. So if you could go in there and do that, we could keep this thing growing. I see these numbers every week. It's been awesome. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, really enjoyed watching it kind of grow day over day and, and week over week, month over month, year over year. The numbers look great, but uh, y'all can help us do that even more. Also, a quick reminder, uh, this is a good time as always. There's never really a bad time, but this is an especially good time uh, to go to GoVols247.com. We got a really good deal right now, don't we, Ryan? We do. Sorry, I accidentally muted myself there. Um, yeah, we uh, we have a deal with uh, uh, offering not only 50% off an annual subscription, which is already one of our better deals of the year, um, but on top of that, and this is something we rarely offer, as you know, Wes, but it's especially valuable now because CBS All Access, which we promote all the time, is being changed soon to Paramount, Paramount Plus, yep. adding a lot of new content uh, to, to that platform. And that's uh, that's switching over here soon. So uh, when you sign up now for that deal with a 50% off annual subscription, you also get instant access, which we normally don't give out, to CBS All Access. Usually you have to wait until your promo period is over before you get CBS All Access, now you get it right away. So this is a great, great offer if you're interested in CBS All Access, soon to be Paramount Plus platform. Uh, really good deal because that's a nine ninety five a month uh, offer on top of what you get at GoVols twenty four seven. So uh, tons of great stuff there for half the price of an annual sub, and that is a that is a fantastic deal and only up for uh, uh, till I believe that's uh, they'll run through early next week. So you've got a few more days to take care of that, but great chance to join the side and uh, and take advantage of that and get all the 
coverage of the first year of the Josh Heupel era on top of that. Yeah, 50% off of an annual subscription is a really good deal, but then you throw uh, CBS All Access slash Paramount Plus into that. And I believe when it becomes Paramount Plus, it would make sense that it would uh, then go, uh, I believe, um, like Yellowstone would, would come over. And if you've never seen mm-hmm. that show, that's like a Cowboy Sopranos. It's excellent. Uh, really, my wife and I really, really enjoyed that show. And there's all kinds of other good stuff, too. Everything from, um, you know, all the CBS shows that everyone ever made. Um, Showtime is part of that. Yeah, it's, there, yeah, lots of stuff. Yeah, and there's um, there's going to be, uh, I believe, um, there's going to be a lot of Comedy Central, MTV, BET, Smithsonian, Nickelodeon, all that stuff. Uh, tons of stuff from those vaults. Plus live sports, all kinds of live sports, SEC football for, for at least another year or so, year or two, uh, NCAA basketball. Uh, March Madness, NCAA Tournament, Vols Basketball, NFL, PGA Tour, UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, all that. And, and I'm telling you that because we're, we're basically we're giving you like $100-plus every year, like for free. We're just giving it to you. It's like every time it gets to January 1st, it's like, boom, we're giving you another $100-plus. So it's a really good deal. You should take advantage of it. Uh, and it's not going away. Uh, it, it will be offered in perpetuity. If you're a paying member with us, you will get that, which is a really, really, really good deal. Ryan, switching over to football now. Ben, um, I think probably a, a more newsy week than than usual uh, for this time of year for Tennessee, and that makes all kinds of sense. You got a new coaching staff in town. You got kids trying to get out of their national letters of intent. You're trying to, you know, have a new coach, Josh Heupel, hire a new staff. So there's all kinds of stuff going on. I guess we'll start with the staff. There's been one new addition to the the football, the full time staff, anyways. Uh, it looks like that thing is close to full, not quite there. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, there is a new coach, a defensive assistant uh, from the University of Michigan, uh, Brian Jean Marie who uh, sounds incredibly French. Uh, sounds like uh, he needs to be facing Ricky Bobby driving the Perrier car in uh, Talladega <laughs> Nights. But uh, this was a guy who, um, you know, was set to make nearly half a million dollars for Michigan as, a, as an assistant there under Harbaugh. So, you know, a Popka, Florida native. Looks like a pretty good get to me for Tennessee. I, I think so. I think on the surface you could certainly sell this. I, I, not to be dismissive of anyone, certainly, who followed Josh Heupel from UCF, but people tend to write off those hires as – no, you're bringing guys with you. You don't have to really recruit those guys, so they're not really big gets in that sense. They were already on your staff. But when you take out those guys, it strikes me as one of the better hires that they've made so far among these outside hires, certainly. Um, I, I think to, to get a guy like that who's at Michigan, previously at Texas, he's a very experienced linebackers coach, a pretty good recruiter with ties to a couple states that Tennessee dabbles in, certainly uh, one of them more so than others, but he's got – He's originally from Apopka, Florida, as you said, so he's got some relationships in Florida that should be helpful. And he he had a lot of success, although it comes with the asterisk of it was when he was at Texas, but he has a lot of success uh, in his past in the state of Texas. So past relationships there that could come into play and maybe help Tennessee here and there uh, in recruiting. And and on top of that, yeah, just a, a, a known as a solid linebackers coach uh, at each of the stops he's been at. So another good recruiter to add to the staff. And I think we didn't really know what to expect with that hire when Tennessee brought on Tim Banks as defensive coordinator. You know, people wondered, is he going to bring somebody that was with him at Penn State? You know, sometimes you can see even an analyst or graduate assistant that a guy might be high on that's under him at at that particular school he was at before, Um, you know, maybe comes with him. It could be an up-and-comer who's never been at a Power 5 school before. So you don't really know what to expect. So to me, to go out and get a guy that has this level of experience a former defensive coordinator at USF under Charlie Strong. I followed Charlie Strong to a couple different stops. Uh, the fact that you bring in a guy like that that has that level of experience, 
a nice pickup, I think, at linebackers coach. Yeah, you know, what's interesting to me is that this guy, at, at the age of 45, I believe, was the oldest member of of Jim Harbaugh's staff. Because Harbaugh, I believe, is in his late 50s, but he, he was the oldest uh, of the coaches at um, Michigan, which at 45, that, that seems kind of surprising to me. They got a young staff there. but uh, Very young. Vent looks like really, really young staff. It's like babies coaching babies. But, um, you know, I, I think this is a guy who – this is one of the hires that, that you say, as you say, Ryan, you, you look at, you know, you're going to bring guys with you, certainly guys you're comfortable with, but you also want to bring some guys who, you know, you, you want to show people you can make a good hire. You want to show people you can hire somebody who is coveted by other Power 5 programs, you know, elite programs, um, a guy who has had success as a recruiter, as a position coach, coached some guys, got into the league. You want to make a couple of those hires, and, you know, you go hire a Rodney Garner like that, then you go get a Jean-Marie like that, bring in Willie Martinez, who has had those types of jobs before, including at Tennessee. Um, I, I, I kind of like the, the defensive the, – the makeup of this defensive staff. Now, now we'll, we'll, we got to say, Banks as a coordinator, now that, that's a leap up. He's done that before, um, but not necessarily at a program of Tennessee's size. So that, that's a bit of a leap of faith. But, but you, you look at the, the veterans around him, I like the composition of that side of the ball. I do too. And it, it, I, I kind of think it's a, now that it's mostly put together, I, it seems like a pretty common sense staff to me in a good way. Uh, I, I think sometimes you can tell a lot about um, how, how good of a sense uh, of what he needs a, a head coach has. Uh, coming into a job like this, and, and I think the fact that he's he's got continuity on the offensive side, where he's good, where where that's that should be his strength, that makes a lot of sense. The only really new face there is Jerry Mack as, as running backs coach. All the other guys were either recently hired at UCF, in the case of Cody Burns, who, or have been with him at UCF for the past couple of years or past year. Um, so that that all makes sense. And then on the defensive side where he's not known as a defensive coach, obviously, because he has an offensive background. That's where he's got more of the proven commodities that have been at Power 5 schools recently who have been good recruiters in the SEC. In the case of a guy like Rodney Garner, Willie Martinez, a veteran coach, has been at a bunch of places, including Tennessee, before. So, so you've got more experience and more guys with resumes that, that are maybe not young up-and-comers that he just believes in from having worked with them before. But, but guys that are more proven commodities in some ways on the defensive side of the ball. So that, that all makes sense because I think that's what you need when you have a, a resume like Josh Heupel's. So uh, I, I like the recruiting makeup of this staff. I, I like the, the, the diversity and geography that, that's represented. There's a lot of different things you can like about this staff, and I think they've pieced together, uh, honestly, maybe, maybe a little bit better staff than I could, was kind of expecting at first uh, just on paper. You know, You never know how it's going to work out until you see it. And there will always be a couple guys that are not perfect fits in, on a first-year staff uh, in almost every case. But I, I think I, I really like what we've seen so far. I think it's a pretty common-sense staff and makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, you, you look at it, and, and it's sort of another reminder to me that the Tennessee name still, you know, pops a little bit. It, it's still one that you can go get guys. Now, obviously, you you need the money to do that, and Tennessee's got money, and, you know, it, it's nice to make money, right? But – I, I think that, you know, Tennessee's had to shell out some money for some of these guys, get some of these veterans. But, I mean, I, I like it. You know, I, I think that, like you said, I, there will be some guys, and we don't know who it's going to be. Um, you wouldn't anticipate maybe as many of it, those guys offensively because those guys have mostly worked together and know each other, as you said. Uh, defensively, uh, we'll see how those guys work together. Maybe it'll click. Maybe it won't. Maybe they'll – 
You know, maybe there'll be someone who doesn't quite fit and they got to make an adjustment after the year. We don't really know how it's going to go. But as you said, on paper, um, there's still one hire to make. We'll talk about that in a second. But I, I, I kind of like I kind of like where it is. And, and if we assume that, that Jean-Marie is going to be the linebackers coach, um, that basically leaves uh, every position except for a special teams coordinator title. And, you know, the usually everybody coaches a little bit of special teams, right? So you don't necessarily – have to have someone who's just a special teams coordinator. In fact, that's that's kind of rare. Not everybody does that. Um, maybe you see it a little bit more now with the extra assistant coach. But in general, you know, there, what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of options here. I, I think Tennessee will go with another defensive coach, maybe, um, but I'm not quite sure because, you know, they gave Willie Martinez the secondary coach title, so maybe they're going to not split up the corners and safeties. Maybe they will. We'll see. Banks has worked with, with defensive backs before, obviously, so – there's some wiggle room there. Um, maybe another linebackers coach. Not quite sure how that would work out when you look at the logistics of it. Um, you know, with so much nickel defense. But basically, long story short, Ryan, they have options out there, and they can go a lot of different ways with this spot. That they do, and and you know, I, a lot of it may just depend on recruiting uh, ability and who they can get. You know, if they're looking to add another recruiter, you, you've got some flexibility, as you said, to to shuffle things around. Now, to me, the fact that they have. Go, they, they did go ahead and announce that Willie Martinez, at least in title, is the defensive backs coach. Uh, they didn't give him the cornerbacks title, which was interesting to me because, as you, as we've said, you know Tim Banks coached the safeties at Penn State. All indications are that he's going to work with the safeties at Tennessee. Um, you could always have gone out and still hired a safeties coach to help out there with that final spot if you'd wanted to, though. So you, uh, so so the fact that they didn't give Martinez just the corners title, they gave him DB's coach, tells me they're not necessarily looking to hire another DB's coach with this final spot um, with linebackers. Uh, you know, John Marie makes sense as line, just linebackers coach, not necessarily just inside linebackers coach, but that would be one option to go inside and outside linebackers. Um, you know, there are even some four, three defenses that go defensive tackles and defensive ends, but I don't know that I see that because they've already given Rodney Garner, the defensive line coach title. So um, I, yeah, I don't know. And, that, and I'm not sure how much, you know, you look across the SEC. You're even in the SEC now. You're you're in. You're not in base defense a lot. It's almost like your nickel mm-hmm. is your base. And, and I don't know how much why you necessarily. And, and maybe they know something I don't know. I mean that's clearly a, a possibility. But I just don't know that going outside linebackers, inside linebackers makes a lot of sense when you know when, when you're in the nickel most of the time. Yeah, and and if it's and if the defense and we haven't talked with Tim Banks to 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 really hear a lot about this. You know, he had some comments on uh, on the nation Sunday night, sort of getting into this a little bit, what his defense will look like. But his background is with the 4-3 or 4-2-5 look. And, and if that's the case, there's there's usually less of a need in those types of systems for inside and outside linebackers coaches um, because you don't have the, the difference in, you know, edge rushers and outside linebacker in a 3-4 versus more true linebackers playing inside backers. So uh, that, that makes probably – that, that makes that less of a need, but you still could go that route if you want to because you have a, another spot on the staff to, to sort of mess around with. So that basically all that to say is we don't know what they're going to do for sure. They have options. Uh, we, we know one, one guy that he worked with at UCF, Nick Toth, was the, had the title of special teams coordinator, and that was his only title, even though he had some, some defensive background um, or, or some experience on the defensive side of the ball. So he, he would still be an option, but – from what we've heard so far, it doesn't sound like there's been a lot of contact there recently. So I, I don't know that Tennessee's looking to go that way. So uh, Kevin Steele is still technically on staff as that 10th guy. 
still under contract, listed on Tennessee's website, all those things. So I'd, until, love, I'd love to know what he's doing just on a daily basis. <laughs> you not know, coming like, into the office recently, apparently. That's that's one thing. He's maybe working from home, but yeah, he's he's still under contract, but has not been coming in a lot lately. Yeah, they're like, from, are you, you heard. know, just click into a couple Zooms a day? I mean, like, you know, I don't, you know. It's just weird. Like it's that yeah. whole situation is so awkward. Now, of course, I, I still we don't need to rehash that, but I, I understand why Tennessee did what it did when it did it. But uh, it's awkward now for sure because he's there and they haven't figured this thing out. And you know, I, I don't, I don't know, but uh, I would like to see like be a fly on the wall for like his average day right now. It's yeah. just something that so, interests me. So you, uh, so you have that whole dynamic, but you would think they're going to be ready to move on from him the minute they find who they want to fill that tenth and final spot. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's at, what we've heard lately suggests that they may be looking more at defense uh, with that last spot than I would have thought at first because the setup kind of lends itself to special teams coordinator being the uh, the last spot. But uh, but it does sound like they're uh, they're open to. To defense and, and maybe maybe even leaning in that direction so so we'll see um you know it sounds like it's going to be a, a multiple defense so maybe there is some need for an inside and outside linebackers coach uh on, on this staff uh, you know tim bank uh, in his comments sunday night tim bank said you have to be multiple being able to get in four down three down uh, so they, they maybe want to be more flexible and maybe it's not just as simple as saying a four three or four two five so maybe that that plays into that, but yeah, we don't really know. And there's not been a lot of names thrown out there so far. So we'll see where they go with this final hire, but here we are um, nearing the end of February. And it's interesting that we're still not completely done with the staff uh, with spring, tra- spring practice just around the corner. I mean, what three weeks away, probably from the start of spring practice. Yeah. I- I'm wondering if, if this is a deal where you, you just get like the best recruiter you can find and mm-hmm. then, and then fit him into the staff where he can. Now that would be a pretty good argument against having like a 10th coach because if you're just looking for a recruiter sort of what's the point I guess but that's what some people would argue but you know they have the money I got no problem spending it uh, I, I just I'm curious as to if they would go if there's like a specific need that that Hypel feels like he needs on the field or if it's just a deal where hey I'm going to go find the best recruiter I can and then we'll figure out a position for him him to coach my guess is that whoever whoever the hire is like you said it's probably going to be somebody who can who can add something in recruiting but uh, but you could take it and, and it could be someone with a special teams background that can help out elsewhere. Um, you know, knowing, knowing that we've, we, as we've talked about, you've got every position covered. I, I wonder if you hire someone that's maybe got uh, a little bit of a hybrid background and get creative. Maybe you have like a Nichols and outside linebackers coach or something like that, you know, have, have some fun with it. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be probably a special teams coordinator and something else. Uh, it's just a matter of what that something else is, but yeah, it's probably gonna have to do with, who they can get again and, and whether that person can help out in some area that makes sense in recruiting where this staff's got some nice pieces put together. You've got out, you know, Alabama's got some connections on this staff. You got some connections in Georgia, North Carolina, Memphis, Florida, Texas, Michigan. They, they've, they've done a good job of piecing things together, but you can always use another recruiter and uh, find, find finding something that makes sense for this staff in recruiting uh, seems like a good idea for this final spot. And moving on to, to the, the current roster, Ryan, it, you know, the, it's not really a surprise uh, that a couple more Tennessee signees who signed to play for, for Pruitt and who very clearly wanted to get out of their national letters of intent, they were finally given their releases over the past week. Uh, Dylan Brooks, who was obviously someone Tennessee did not want to lose, uh, wanted to fight that as much as they could. But, hey, that happens. What are you going to do? The kid wants to go play elsewhere. 
I think it's the right thing to go let them do it. Uh, so the, they lost him uh, in addition to, obviously, the running back last week, Brown. That was one that, you know, I don't know that that's a huge loss for Tennessee because of sort of the style that they want to play offensively and the style of running back he is. I don't think that's a terrible thing for Tennessee. Uh, and then uh, Jamarian Gooch, the big offensive lineman, uh, played played a little bit at the Kings Academy here near Knoxville, uh, but is originally from, I believe, the Nashville area and uh, is another guy who uh, was clearly wanting to play for the previous staff, did not want to play for this new staff, and he's been given his release. Yeah, it's uh, the, the third defection from this class, as you said. Uh, we we uh, officially reported that on Sunday, but believe that one officially happened uh, uh, a couple days ago, but uh, but yeah, to see to see three guys from this class drop off, it's uh, it, it's not unexpected, but it, it shows you what uh, challenges there are now with uh, with the early signing period. Uh, you know, it's better than the alternative where if you had made the coaching change before the early signing period, or or, or there wasn't an early signing period, and you did it a week before National Signing Day or two weeks before National Signing Day, it's you know the, the alternative is what Auburn's kind of dealt with, where they lost uh, several guys in their class or, or a few, and then we're down to they signed basically half of a class in December and have kind of had to piece it together to build back approaching and after national signing day, Tennessee did it the other way where they held things together. Then the coach was fired. And so now you've got a few guys who naturally want out. So it's not unexpected that it works out this way. The end result is probably about the same overall, except now maybe you still have a few guys who, you know, maybe wouldn't have been recruited by this staff. I, you know, if they were putting the class together themselves, but guys who are, are, good enough players and, and it's a fit and you're going to hold on to them. So I think for the most part, but we'll see, but I think for the most part, Tennessee's done with the attrition. You know, I haven't heard any other rumblings of anything, anything beyond these three. Um, but, but Gooch is, uh, you know, it, it's another offensive lineman. Tennessee needed to continue to build depth there. They've done a good job of addressing that position so far, uh, you know, by, by at least adding Jeremiah Crawford, the junior college tackle. But this is a, at least a guy that had a lot of upside, um, and, and probably needed a, a year or two to develop, but he's a good enough player that other SEC schools were, were clearly interested. He was an Auburn commitment back before he committed to Tennessee, and he was in your own state. You know, he's back at Gallatin High School uh, trying to get his grades in order so he can enroll somewhere this summer. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see where he lands. You know, good player, but clearly someone who's a bit of a project and, and maybe in this system, and this is maybe why I don't think you saw Tennessee put up a huge fight Another deal kind of like Cody Brown, where it's not a great fit schematically because you're talking about a 350-pound offensive lineman who is not in tip-top shape athletically, needs to do a little work there to get himself rounded into form, and then you throw on top of that an offensive system where you're running three plays a minute at UCF. He's clearly going to be a little bit behind the eight ball conditioning-wise and and might take a little more time to get ready to play in this system. So I think when you put it all together – it's maybe not the worst idea for, for them to, to part ways on, on either side. And, uh, but one of those deals at the same time where I won't be surprised if he lands with a pretty good program, if he gets everything squared away academically this spring. So, uh, so interesting decision. I'm sure some people were caught off guard by it because it's an in-state guy. Uh, but at the same time, it was a guy who picked Auburn over Tennessee originally. So he was clearly always open to leaving the state. And now without the the former staff here decided he'd rather, uh, rather go elsewhere. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't. I don't think I'm playing devil's advocate here. I think I'm. I think this is actually a, a, a fairly sound argument on on its own merits. I I would say that there is no way to kind of sugarcoat losing Brooks. Right? He's an edge rusher. Edge rushers fit into any system. He's a really good player. Really, really good prospect. 
and very clearly not a guy Tennessee wanted to lose, right? Tennessee put up a fight there, tried to convince him, tried to let, you know, tried to tried to get him with some new coaches to, to talk to him, and it just didn't work out, right? So that obviously is not good. Um, but what I'm looking at right now, if you're looking at three defections from the class, when you talk about going to a coaching change and such a huge culture change in the kind of football they were playing and the kind of football they want to play now and the difference just in the personalities and the, the sort of the, the way both of those coaches are, I don't think three is a bad loss. I, I'll be honest with you because it, it could have been worse, right? I mean, I, I, I might be wrong about this, but I'm looking at it and I'm saying, listen, you don't want to lose Brooks. That sucks. You don't want to lose him. That just sucks. But other than that, Ryan, I mean, overall, you look at the big picture, 30,000 feet up, losing three guys, I don't think it's the end of the world. Yeah, if, if that ends up being all it is, that's that's an okay number. And, uh, you know, we were, there's been some concern about all with all the guys who entered the uh, the transfer portal and, and now the defections from the signing class, just how many guys are left on this on this roster. And, and I kind of just quickly counted them up. I may have been one or two off, but I think I, I think I had it about right. I think I still had them at 84 scholarship players. And that's if Kavaris Crouch doesn't decide to stay. Uh, you know, that's that's very much a possibility because he's still working out with the team and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think you could you could definitely argue that three is is not bad under the circumstances at all. Would you have preferred for a couple of them to not be four stars? Yeah, sure. Because perception wise, you, you lost a couple of the uh, couple of the guys in the top half of this class and Dylan Brooks and Cody Brown. But uh, as you said, Cody Brown, there were concerns about the system fit, maybe. Uh, you know, where he ends up will be interesting too. I, Auburn was the main competition for Tennessee down the stretch in his recruitment. Uh, and even at the time he committed back in May of last year, but doesn't sound like the new staff at Auburn is, is all that concerned about him right now. Miami is the school that has emerged as maybe the early uh, favorite or one of the top contenders for, for Cody Brown so far. So he may end up still at, at a pretty big program, but maybe not in the sec. So uh, that, that'll be interesting to follow. Uh, but yeah, Brown Gooch to me, if you're drawing up an ideal player for this staff at, at those two positions at running back and on the offensive line, it's probably not those guys uh, ideally. So and all things considered, yeah, three, it could be a lot worse. And, and, and again, we'll see if they're done. I think they're at least in good enough shape with the other guys. I don't necessarily expect any more attrition from this signing class. Um, and then, you know, all things considered when two of the three guys are at least potentially not ideal system fits, that's not the end of the world either. So, uh, yeah, all things considered, could have been a lot worse for Tennessee, again, especially if this class had been blown up before early signing day or before national signing day with, with guys unsigned. It would have been a lot worse probably than what they ended up with, which is still right now a top 20 signing class, all things considered, not bad. Yeah, and, and then, you know, that's, of course, to we should mention that things are all obviously subject to change. There are some guys maybe who are saying, you know what, I'll, I'll stick around for one spring just to see what it's like, but if I don't like what I see, uh, then I'm gone. And, and and that might happen, but I'll, I'll say to people what I've said the whole time, the transfer portal swings both ways. Tennessee could lose guys. Tennessee also could gain guys. Uh, that's just that's just the way – that's the nature of the system. So I well, wouldn't and, and that's freak the, out too much about the, that. Well, and, and then sorry, that, that's, the, that's the end result of this is that Tennessee actually has – more room because those guys did not actually enroll there is a way to still use those spots and sort of reclaim them for this year if Tennessee decides it wants to fill them so additional transfers now could be added essentially to replace Cody Brown, Jamarian Gooch, Dylan Brooks 
So uh, they already had a couple spots to play with. Now it looks like they could have at least five spots uh, to fill if they want to. A couple of those could be uh, late high school or junior college additions if they want to go that route, if anybody emerges this spring. Uh, but otherwise, that gives you a lot of flexibility to be players for some transfers. I don't think you have to use those all on transfers. Uh, you know, I've talked to some coaches who are not necessarily uh, enamored with all of the options that you see in the transfer portal and are kind of of the belief that, you know, when a guy's in the transfer portal, there's often a reason for it. You know, it either didn't work out at his previous school for a reason or, you know, there, there's some sort of concern there. But Yeah, not, not, not a lot of Eric Gray's and Henry Toto's and Wanya Morris yeah, is in there. That, that's And that's fair, but the, but – at the same time, hey, there's some there's some kids out there who were maybe second teamers at good programs before who could play for Tennessee right now. There there are talented guys who get to reach their potential, kind of like Wanye Morris at Tennessee. Uh, you know, there, there there are guys like that out there to be found. You just have to pick and choose your spots. But if you want to use all five of those spots on transfers to address needs, and believe me, Tennessee has them across the board, they can do that now. Uh, they they've got real needs, I think, in the secondary. They could certainly use a pass rusher to replace Dylan Brooks. They could they could always use defensive line help. Uh, they've kind of been looking for that for a couple of years, and thankfully that senior class has yet to to really move on, and that's allowed them to to get by there with that group still handling most of the workload. Um, they they still have been in the in the market for other offensive linemen, including a a Texas transfer Willie Tyler that they've at least kicked the tires on. Um, you know, they still could use a tight end. So there's so many needs on this roster. And I think also there's FCS players and things like that too. There are always yeah. guys at that level, and, and people call me FC West as a joke on our staff, but I'm telling you <laughs> there are always players at that level who could help a program in the SEC. There are always. Every single one of those FCS rosters has a couple of guys who could play anywhere. And a couple of those guys might want to transfer, and if they do, hey, that could work. Yeah, so you, uh, they've we've already seen them take a kicker in this class, and uh, and obviously getting the quarterback in Hendon Hooker. So you, you've addressed a couple of needs, but there there's still some others on this roster, and now you've got more flexibility to do that because of these defections. So yeah, we'll we'll see what they decide to do there. Uh, I don't know that Tennessee's you know any, any sanctions that are self imposed on Tennessee are likely to affect this 2021 class. So they're probably going to still have that room. Uh, going into the summer so you know we'll, we'll see what other options pop up on the transfer portal but I do think they they have more flexibility now and that's that's one of the one of the positives if you're looking for the silver lining in this in addition to a couple of those guys maybe not not being in some ways ideal fits for this staff so yeah all things considered uh, the Dylan Brooks loss is the one that probably hurts the most but uh, at the end of the day I think Tennessee will be We'll be okay there, and, and the net result will not be bad overall compared to what it could have been, again, if this class had been blown up beforehand instead of Tennessee at least getting to sign the class before and being able to sort of sell the signees on a new staff. You have a lot more leverage when they've already signed. I think most of the signees, even if they had some initial reservations, have at least had some you know, some conversations with the new staff and, and feel feel reasonably good about things, and I think it's probably a, a decent fit in some cases. So. So I think they'll be okay, and the net result here is not bad overall. Yeah, if you don't fill those five places, though, I wonder if you might be like, hey, let's let's go ahead and declare these five losses for you know NCAA sanctions. You know, maybe <laughs> an option. Yeah, I, but be. but uh, Ryan, we're, we're pressed for time. But before we get out of here, I, I, we do need to mention this. Anything going on uh, with with Ty Simpson? Uh, we we had the update on him last week. Obviously, things got pushed back a week because of the the nasty weather that's hitting. That's hit pretty much everywhere in the southeastern United States and Midwest, except for uh, East Tennessee. We sort of got spared from all that. So uh, we, yeah. we, we, were, we were fortunate. No one else was. 
Um, you know, my brother in, in Memphis and my sister in Nashville were both buried with snow and ice and things like that. He pushed his commitment back a week, the elite quarterback prospect out of Martin. Anything new there, or uh, is it pretty much the exact same as it was last week? Uh, a, a little bit different. I think since the, since we discussed it last week, I think there was uh, there was a, a little bit of a surge of initial optimism maybe that Tennessee has 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 gotten back in it, and I think they still – certainly have made a good impression on, on Ty Simpson with the new staff. Uh, Tennessee's at least been in the mix, whereas I think nationally the perception is that this is a two-team race between Clemson and Alabama. I think Tennessee is, has made this a three-team race again with Josh Heupel's staff. They've been all over him talking to him every single day. Uh, Josh Heupel you know, had, had multiple Zooms and, and FaceTime conversations and things like that over the past week or two. So, uh, that and, with the quarter- still- and with the quarterbacks he's coached, Simpson would do well to listen. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's one of the reasons he is listening still. Uh, when you compare Clemson and Alabama to Tennessee, obviously, you know most people would say one of those teams is not like the other, and right now it's Tennessee. That's that's a, that's a fair uh, fair criticism of the program, but I, I think Ty Simpson sees Josh Heupel's background, sees that offense is a good fit, and has always been drawn to the in-state schools. So uh, the chance to stay home is still appealing to him. Uh, but if you t- he, he did have some comments, he went on his home uh, hometown radio station Saturday morning. Uh, right there in Martin and, uh, and said on a, on a radio show coach's corner that, uh, that he, he, he essentially said his mind is uh, basically made up is what, what I took from his comments. He said uh, that he has a pretty good feeling about where he's going and, uh, and, and felt, felt confident in his decision. So I, I get the impression that his mind has been made up uh, before maybe just a couple days ago. I, I think he's kind of known for a while. And so that's why I would maybe still lean toward, another team and my guess would be Alabama maybe being the favorite but I'm not closing the door on Tennessee and I think the new staff has done a good job to get Tennessee back in the mix it just it might not end up being enough time for a new staff to win him over but we'll see Uh, I'm not ruling out anything still and nobody has told me conclusively that Ty Simpson is not going to Tennessee so until I hear something more conclusive there uh, I'm not I'm not closing the door just yet so we'll see and he and and he may not have completely made up his mind just yet there's still maybe a chance for Tennessee to change his mind, even if he's leaning elsewhere leading up to Friday afternoon. So basically you're saying he's kind of like uh, Steve Trevor at the end of Wonder Woman when he's like, I wish we had more time. Basically. Yeah, it, it might be one of those deals. I think there's been some, there's some thought that, you know, if, if Tennessee had a couple more months here, uh, it, you'd feel a lot better, certainly, if you're Tennessee's new staff. I mean, obviously the dead period now has been extended through the end of May, so you wouldn't be able to to get him on campus to meet with the new staff until at least June. But just a little more time to build that relationship, I'm sure, would make this staff feel a little bit better about its chances of, of ultimately winning him over. But, you know, hey, he's not told them a final answer. I don't think anyone really knows for sure just yet. He claims his parents don't even know where he's going. He says they've basically signed off on his three finalists, and, and it's up to him to choose where he wants to go. So, uh, so it, whether that's true, we'll see. But, I, you know, he's at least sold that as being the case. And uh, I guess we'll find out Friday afternoon. But right now, I would still consider Tennessee an underdog in the race, but not out of it. I think they've done a good job to at least get back in the picture where a lot of people probably would have said two weeks ago, and I probably would have been one of them. They didn't have much of a chance at that time. Now I think they're at least in the discussion, and that's to to Josh Heupel and and, and his staff's credit. Anything else, Ryan? I know that we're at a pretty good place to leave it there, but uh, you got anything else? No, I think that, that pretty much covers it. Uh, plenty of plenty of recruiting coverage, if you haven't seen it all, on, on Go Vols 24-7 as this staff continues to – to, to spread out uh, across the country and, and sort of make up for lost time. We had a lot of, a lot of things to cover and plenty more to discuss as the staff kind of gets up to speed on the 2022 class. But uh, Ty Simpson, obviously the first big domino 
that we'll see fall one way or the other on Friday, but a lot more still to happen after that. And, uh, and plenty to, plenty of coverage on GoVols 24-7 to, to keep you updated. I think that's a good place to leave it. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Wes. And thank you all for listening. We appreciate it as always. We say it all the time, but uh, but we probably could say it more because we just we really do appreciate it, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of this. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7. And Grant Ramey, who you heard in the first segment, is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Remember, it's not Grant Ramey 24-7 because he's not a team player. It's just Grant Ramey, but you can find him there. If you want just Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals247. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals247 where we've got plenty of stuff on that throughout the day. I mean, that thing gets updated, it seems like, at least once an hour, every hour, all day, every day, tons of stuff there. But if you want the most, you want that delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water just right from the tap. Go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets to get coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball, where, as we mentioned earlier, those guys are are having a great start to the season, ranked 16th at least in the country, and uh, moving on after sweeping Georgia Southern. Got coverage of the Lady Vols, who had a huge win, huge win last week uh, over South Carolina. Then a disappointing loss, much like the men, but, uh, but still, lots to talk about there, and Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us, both with, uh, with basketball and softball and all sorts of other things. Uh, you, can also, you can also get all of that, plus, plus access to two forums, the checkerboard and the summit round the clock guys we are one of us is, is up just about 24 hours a day at least one of us is up at least any time throughout the day on their digital water cooler go there get your questions answered come talk to us right you know it's the pandemic sucks right now some ways still can't go out and do everything you want to do go to the digital water cooler that's what we're there for we talk about as long as it's not politics or religion guys bring it on We're there to have fun, right? We're there to replace the old school office water cooler. That's us. Uh, And you can get all of that right now for 50% off of an annual subscription. 50% off, which is a hell of a deal for an already reasonably priced product. And on top of that, you get access to CBS All Access, and it will become Paramount Plus, which means even more stuff, and you get access to all of that, which, as I mentioned earlier, every show CBS has ever done commercial-free, new movies every single month. Uh, you got live sports, so you got uh, SEC football, SEC basketball, March Madness, NCAA tournament, NFL, PGA Tour, UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, all of that, plus stuff from the catalogs of uh, Comedy Central, BET, MTV, uh, Nickelodeon, and Smithsonian. And when it becomes Paramount Plus here in just a little bit, you're going to get even more. And we give that, that's a $100 plus annual value in your pocket, no questions asked. Best deal around, can't beat it. We're the only, only ones who can give it to you. So take advantage of it. Uh, if there's no huge breaking news, you should hear from us by Thursday at the latest, maybe before that if something big happens. But if not, you will hear from us Thursday. Until then, wash your freaking hands, be freaking nice to each other, wear your freaking masks. Sign up for that vaccine. Get that vaccine. Let's get through this, guys. Come on. We are so close. We are getting so much closer. Let's get through it. Until then, be good. See you.